The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, and by Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. They were as close as any father and son could hope to be. I'm lucky to be a part of what he is, what he stands for, and what he's doing right now. This is the father of the most famous athlete on the planet, Michael Jordan. And on his 57th birthday, he was an unidentified dead man in the swamp in the middle of nowhere. The body has been positively identified as Mr. James Jordan. Police have charged 18-year-old Daniel Green and 18-year-old Larry Demery with first-degree murder. They were paraded into the courthouse for the cameras. I mean, it looked like you were broadcasting the Super Bowl out there in the parking lot. Anything you want to say to the Jordan family? I didn't kill him. I'm trying to stop short of corruption, but maybe I, I shouldn't. This case was complicated from the very beginning. There had been a history of racial injustice and law enforcement corruption in Robeson County. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Those are scenes from the five-part original true crime docu-series Moment of Truth that tells the never-before-seen story behind the murder of James Jordan, beloved husband and the father of NBA legend Michael Jordan. It also examines the history of social injustice of Robison County, North Carolina. And while the case isn't new, it has taken on a new urgency as Daniel Green, who has maintained his innocence for 25 years, has filed an appeal to share new evidence. I've got Moment of Truth co-director Matthew Pernisiero on the line right now. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for joining me. And and uh, boy, the, uh, the case of James Jordan, as long ago as it was, it always had such a haunting ending to it with so much suspicion about the evidence. And you devote a lot of time, don't you, to discuss the corruption even before this case happened? Yes, we, we felt that it was very important in telling the story that audiences had context for the environment in which this crime took place, was investigated, and ultimately went to trial. So there was a very fractured history in the county of corruption and law enforcement and uh, systemic racism in the criminal justice system that we felt was necessary for audiences to have an understanding of, to understand the, the complete story of, of what took place in this in this crime. Did you find there was, I don't know, sort of a good old boy network in that particular county and it was just never looked into before? Well, I, th- I think, you know, this has been documented in the news media. I think one of the things that we found to be very shocking as we were going through the archival footage uh, from that period of time in Robinson County, North Carolina, is that there were stories being reported on the nightly news that if any one of these things took place today, they would be national and global news stories within a matter of hours. You know, um, right. murders at the hand of law enforcement, uh, you know, uh, a significant amount of uh, drug law enforcement's involvement with the drug trade. These would be massive news stories today, but because of 1993, we weren't connected in the same way that we are today. And, you know, that's something that people will have to remember is that if just because something was reported on the local news in North Carolina, doesn't mean it ever made it to the national news. And I think we wanted to show audiences some of that footage because it's it's surprising and it's shocking. That's really interesting you say that about the footage, too, because I've seen bits and pieces of your documentary, and there is a lot of great archival footage. Where did you find all of it? Well, I'm, you know, very fortunate. You know, I think archival, when you're doing an archival-based documentary, you know, to have the depth of archival that we had in this to create this series is pretty amazing. So uh, Capital Broadcasting, who's our co-production partner on the project, 
they their news team had actually initiated this because they had this great archive. They covered the story. WRAL out of Raleigh, North Carolina, right. had covered this story for years. And uh, Jimmy Goodman, who's one of the executive producers of the show, uh, is a good friend of mine from growing up. I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina myself. And um, we he called me and he said, you know, we were planning to do some some work and some documentary type content for our local news network on the 25th anniversary of, of the crime of the murder. And he said, but I'm starting to look at this and I think we have something bigger here. And so, you know, I, that's, that's when I joined the team and started working with these amazing journalists, you know, Clay Johnson, who co-directed the first two episodes with me, and we wrote and crafted the series together. Uh, Shelley Leslie, who leads that team, just an amazing group of uh, award-winning journalists. And the depth of archival was, unbel- was stunning. And this is footage that only aired once in North Carolina in the early to mid nineties. So audiences have never seen this footage before, unless you were watching the news that night. We also use evidence files from the crime that have never been seen before. Uh, and, and lastly, the trial audio, uh, it never even existed outside of the physical tape form. It was actually digitized for the use in this project. So unless you were sitting in the courtroom in Robinson County in 1996, when this trial took place, You've never heard this. So we really wanted to paint an entire, complete, definitive picture for audiences and tirelessly sought out the archival materials to, to do that. And of course, it's not your job to judge, but do you think that one of the suspects, Daniel Green, deserves an evidentiary hearing? And if so, why? Yes. As you said you know, very correctly, as a documentary filmmaker, it's not my goal to pass. It's not my role to pass judgment. On, on anyone's guilt or innocence. It's, it's really to lay out the facts, and, and, and we do so on both sides of the argument in this case. But I do believe those facts point to, to Daniel Green is deserving of an evidentiary hearing. There's just too many questions around the facts as they were presented at trial, and there are elements of ineffective assistance of counsel that took place from Daniel's defense, uh, public defender, defenders at trial that just warrant, you know, when these things happen in our legal system, evidentiary hearings are called for. And there's just too many questions about the evidence that an evidentiary hearing needs to happen in this case. Are you hoping that your documentary, that you kind of bring this case to the forefront again, will have some kind of an effect on the state of North Carolina because they keep denying the hearing? Well, I think in one of the larger goals that this series brings up is because of the high-profile nature of this case, it was extremely well-documented. But there are thousands of cases that take place like this where they are not nearly as well documented. And, and we've always viewed this case and this crime as kind of a gateway into the larger story, that there are systemic issues in our society that we need to look at. There are systemic issues in our criminal justice system that we need to look at because we are learning that certain things, whether they happened 5, 10, 25, 30, 40 years ago, may have been flawed. And when that evidence is brought to light, we have to re-examine it. You know, we, that, that is who we are as a country. That's, who, that's what our justice system is meant to be built on. So I, we are hoping that the series contributes to that larger public conversation. I seem to remember the two suspects. You were probably a little too young for this, but I'm sure you saw it in the footage. The two were paraded in front of the media and a, a huge crowd, and that just doesn't happen too often, does it? Uh, no, you know, and actually the district attorney of Robinson County, who's one of our uh, primary interviews in the series, you know, says to his, to his 
recollect it had never happened before and it, it, it has never happened again. Yeah. Um, the law enforcement played into the media in this case from a very early stage. And I think that also greatly affected the, the, the narrative, the public narrative that was born because, you know, so much of the media, I think as human beings, you know, when, when facts don't necessarily line up as human beings, we try to fill in those gaps. And that led people to go down these rabbit holes of conspiracy theories. And, and frankly, a large contingent of the media at that time was jumping to those conclusions. And that clouded this case in mystery and false narrative. And it was our goal to really look at, well, we don't believe, we figured out very early on that a lot of the conspiracy theories, specifically those as it related to Michael Jordan or the Jordan family and any kind of connection to them about this crime, we realized very quickly that that was not true that that was inaccurate. And that was a very sad, false narrative that had been built around this case. Um, and we wanted to get to the truth. And that's everything that we've done is kind of peeling this back layer by layer, piece of information by piece of information to attain the truth of what happened, because that's the part of the story that hasn't been told as much. Yeah. And I think one of the, as I recall, one of the conspiracy theories in the case related to Michael Jordan's gambling issues, right? Yes, that was a, a a false narrative that was put out. It was alluded to uh, by certain journalists, uh, mostly print journalists at the time. Um, but I believe if you look at, if you really start looking at the evidence of the case, you figure out very shortly that that is not truthful. Did you interview Daniel Green? Do we see him in the documentary? We did interview Daniel Green uh, for the for this series, and you know Daniel Green. There were two teenagers who were convicted, who were charged and convicted of this crime, Larry Demery and Daniel Green. Uh, Larry Demery pled, uh, took a plea deal and pled guilty to the crime and in turn testified against Daniel. Daniel has maintained his innocence uh, since the day they were arrested. Um, as you mentioned, well, as they're being walked into the courthouse, they asked Daniel, you know, do you have anything you want to say? And he says, I didn't kill him, you know? And so it's, it's, uh, he's maintained his innocence for nearly 28 years. Um, and has, and, and has never wavered on that. Um, Larry testified at trial. His narrative is his, his, that testimony is what built the prosecution's case in the public narrative. Daniel did not testify at trial under advisement of his counsel at the time. So this is the first time audiences will also be hearing his version of events in his own voice. And when do those two guys get out of prison? Because I think I read that Larry Demery gets out not too long from now. Uh, yes, it was actually, you know, we've been working on this series for a few years and um, we're very surprised uh, late last summer that it was announced that uh, Larry had been granted parole. Um, he's actually the the order that, that was issued, the letter that was issued, um, he would be released 30 years to the week of when he was arrested in 1993. So he's scheduled to be released in August of 2023. Daniel has not been uh, granted parole and obviously continues to appeal this decision and has filed a number of appeals. And that's a large part of this story as well. As we started making the documentary, um, Daniel, had, his case had been taken on by the North Carolina Center for Actual Innocence, which is a really impressive uh, organization in uh, fighting wrongful convictions led by uh, Executive Director Chris Muma. So in addition to telling the historical elements of this case and reanalyzing all of the evidence of this case, we're also telling a present-day narrative of their attempts 
to get a new trial, a new hearing for Daniel. Are you optimistic? I, I'm optimistic that I believe there, this can contribute to a larger conversation. I'm hoping that that conversation, you know, like I said, when there's questions of fact about evidence, evidentiary hearings are what are called for. And I believe in this case, without passing, you know, judgment on anyone's guilt or innocence that was involved in, in, in this crime, it deserves to be looked in, into. And, and, I, and I believe and I hope that it is. Matthew's Moment of Truth series starting now. Uh, Matthew, good luck with this. It's just, I can't wait to, to check it out. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And uh, yes, people can watch on IMDb TV or via the Amazon Prime app. Uh, so it's available right now. Great. Thanks, Matthew. All right. Thank you. You know, the killing was a notable part of the 2020 documentary, The Last Dance, but it did not go deeply into that case as you might expect. Once again, Moment of Truth is on IMDb TV and Amazon Prime right now. That does it for this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you back here next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Thank you.